Your experience at Joy Church will be unlike any church service you have ever attended before. We are not about religion. We are about a relationship with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. At Joy Church, you'll hear live and vibrant praise and worship music. You will be loved and encouraged. You will be confident that your children will learn about Jesus in a fun and safe environment. You'll be assured that your youth will be loved and accepted not only for who they are, but challenged to become who they were created to be. At Joy Church, God's Word is delivered through creative, humorous, and relative teaching that will help you apply the Bible to your life. There is a place here at Joy Church just for you, where you can begin to develop a vibrant and exciting relationship with Jesus Christ and discover your divine destiny. Get ready as pastor teaches his series, Judge Judy. When you have a chip on your shoulder, there's an indication there's wood from the neck up. And please, we would love to have you as our special guest. Come on out, check our website, www.joychurch.net for service times and events. Beginning a brand new series today, and I will tell you this, in 31 years of ministry, I have never uh, done a teaching, I've done little pockets on it, of course, but never done an entire series on this subject matter. Matter of fact, never heard it ever done by anybody anywhere as far as a series is concerned. And this is going to be fairly mature. Are you ready for some maturity over the next few weekends? We've entitled this Judge Judy. Everybody say Judge Judy. I love it. We're very creative here. Where there's a chip on your shoulder, it is an indication of wood from the neck up. There's our subtitle. I, I, I love that. So, I mean, so turn, turn the person next to you and say, hey, Woody, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm very excited about this. I want you to, I know that our last series that we did, it was we had the most CDs ever in the history of this church bought from that last CD, uh, series because there were so many questions answered. That is ready and, and, and prepared for you to get it. You got to pay for it, of course, but I encourage you to get that. But I know, I know we love that series, but we do need to keep going and growing together. Any tennis fans in the house? Anybody know what tennis is? Okay, well, if you know anything about tennis, I'm not a big tennis guy, but I do know a little bit about it. And there's a guy, uh, I think he's a French guy, and he's Rafael Nadal. I don't know if you've ever seen him play, but he's really unusual to me because I think he's a left-hander. And the hand that he holds his racket with uh, his forearm is extremely developed. I mean, he looks like Popeye. But the hand that he does not hold his racket with, he looks like olive oil is, is, is forearm. And I, I kid you not, there's a huge difference in forearm size just simply because one is used and one is not. And you need to know something about church and the Word of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15 that we are to grow up into all things. Everybody say in all things. Because if not, we're going to be very lopsided Christians. We're going to have one area that we're very strong in, but then one area that we're very weak in. And as far as the church is concerned, a good local church will teach you an array of subject matters. Now, not always something new, but always something fresh. And I do want you to know we need to grow up into all things. So in this series, we're going to grow up. Are you ready? You like Judge Judy? I like Judge Judy. I, I, I like her. She's, a, she's the only woman I know that has common sense. And uh, let, me, let me come over here. Where, 
Paul, hi, Paul. Hi. <laughs> it's me and you against the world right now. I'm kidding. Uh, I like Judge Judy. I've watched her for years. She's been around a long time. She, just, she knows how to judge right. You know, she's pretty tough, but she knows how to judge right. And I think that the way to start out this series that only makes sense is with our little Joy Church Judge Judy parody. Check it out. This is case number 167, Mr. Delafino versus the defendant. Uh, all the parties have been sworn in. All right, let's get started here. It looks like you, the landlord, are suing the defendant in the amount of $5,000 uh, for back rent and damages to your home. Now, you are the landlord, correct, Mr. Delafino? Yes. Now, I would probably call you a slumlord in this situation, but you know what? Right now, we'll just go with it. The landlord. Now, would you like to tell me your side of the story? There's a good side, there's a bad side. I don't care. I just want the truth. I don't like liars. I'll eat them up for breakfast. Go ahead, Mr. Delafino. I am not a slumlord. They're heavy walkers, and they put holes in the floors, and not only the destruction, they refused to pay rent for the last three months. Let me just stop you right there. Mr. Delafino. Uh, according to the defendant, there would not be holes in the floor if it wasn't for the termite problem. Would you care to tell me about the termites? I told him no pets. Mr. Delafino, in Brooklyn, they're considered a pet. Here, they're considered pests, and it is your job as the landlord, slumlord, whatever, to take care of them. Bird, can you believe this guy? You know what my father used to tell me? Uh you want me to pull it out of the air? Which one? No, he used to tell me, don't go to the bathroom on my shoe and tell me it's raining. I can't believe this. Don't lie to me, Mr. Delafino. I'll have you eaten your shoes. You know what? We're done here. Judgment is in ruling of the defendant in the amount of $4,000. It's only fair we start with a Judge Judy Perry. Come on, encourage our Cassie. That's pretty good stuff. I, she's very talented. Judge Judy, one thing about her, she's tough, but I think that she can judge right. Unlike most Christians. Let's talk about this subject matter, because this is an area we get in a ditch on one side or the other, and this subject matter, like I said, is pretty mature stuff, and it's going to make you think, and I'm prepared for it, because I've never heard an entire series taught on this. I think this is going to help you. Are you ready? Four juxtapositions concerning judging justifiably. Yeah, I know. Thank you very much. You say, Pastor, why do you do that? I, I don't know. I really don't know why I do that. I make it tough on myself. Number one, I need you to see this order in the court. Ever say order in the court? We've got to get this thing right. We've got to order in the court when it comes to judging correctly, and you need to know that. The Bible says in Matthew 7 and verse 1, you know this, judge not, and you shall not be judged. But here's the problem with that verse. I think that's the only verse that politicians know. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I have literally heard politicians and famous people use that verse, take it out of context, in order to justify whatever they want to do. And they'll say, judge not, you shall not be judged. And they're normally saying it in context of, you know, I just did this horrible, heinous thing, and I totally want to get away with it, so i got to pull Bible out so I can do it. And how many know the Bible is not there to be used at our convenience? 
Thank you for your enthusiasm. And that really is so true. And I don't think that we understand that. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. And all of a sudden, we're just thinking, everybody, here we go. Life point is very, very important. Check it out. You need to know this. The Corinthians, oh, that's not the, that's not the, that's, well, that's not what we're going to do yet. We'll get to that yet. All of a sudden, I caught Wayne. He was back there snoozing. Come on, encourage Wayne. Now, listen to me. Listen, let me, let, me, let me help you here because I need you to understand this biblically because we take that verse and we do so in a very out of context way. Judge not, you shall not be judged. But the Bible is very, very clear. There are four different areas that you and I are biblically supposed to judge. This is exactly what happened on our Saturday service. Because I know this is new territory. We're supposed to judge. How can this be? Because Jesus said, judge not, you shall not be judged. How many know we have to balance Scripture and put them together properly? Because you can take any one verse, take it out of context, live it out of context, and make it say something it is not designed to say. So let me take a look at those four areas that we are supposed to biblically judge. Number one, check it out, fruit. Everybody say fruit. Now, this is huge. Jesus speaking here. How many believe the words of Jesus? I sure do. Here he's saying in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 20, he said, you shall know them by their fruits. Jesus is telling you and I that we must judge fruit. Anybody ever been to Kroger's? Anybody ever been to Walmart or Publix? Anyway, you ever been? Now, my wife, she's a big shopper. You know what she does? Most of the grocery shopping for the family, thank God. But every once in a while, she'll send me out, and I'm out and about, whatever, and, she, you know, I, and I'll pick up some fruit or whatever. And I've done this before. I, she says, now, pick up some strawberries. And I just don't really pay much attention to them. I pick them up. You know, maybe the, maybe the top six of them look nice. And then I get home, and, and, I, and I take a couple of those big juicy ones out, and I eat them. And then after I've lifted off a couple, I look underneath, and there's like this giant spider web of mold. You ever, you ever, you ever have that ever happened to you? It has me. Now, you say, now how many know the rest of the strawberries in that box are not edible? And you know why that occurred? Listen to me closely. Because I did not judge fruit properly. Here, Jesus is telling you and I something very clearly. He said, you shall know them, people, by their fruits. And he's not talking about how many. He's talking about the quality of the fruit. And here he's talking about the fruit of the Spirit. How many know that when the fruit of the Spirit is in my life, that is my character? When the fruit of the Spirit is in your life, that's Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, love, joy, peace, temperance, goodness, faithfulness, all of those nine things, meekness, all of those things, that totality in my life and in your life, that is our character. And he is telling you and I that we can know people by how they treat others. We can know people by their love walk and by their joy and by their peace and by their faithfulness and by their goodness and by their temperance and by their self-control and by their meekness. Jesus is telling us that. Have you ever noticed my wife's really good at picking out fruit? She does it well. When she goes, you know, she'll take the melons and she'll squeeze it and she'll take certain things and she'll smell it. And nobody ever, she's never had somebody from Kroger, some employee go, judge not, you shall not be judged. Because they expect them to be a good fruit inspector. And we should be too. 
Second thing that the Bible tells us to judge so that we can see this in context, so we don't just say, judge not, you shall not be judged. Number two is teaching. Now, here's where I make myself vulnerable because most pastors don't tell you this or teach you this, and you need to know you can and should judge teaching. Now, I've been doing this ministry for 31 years, so I've got a pretty good grip on what the Bible says. I've probably got, I don't know, about one-fourth or so of the New Testament memorized. So I've got a pretty good grip on what the Bible says. But I can tell you this, the more I know, the more I know I need to know. And I can tell you also this, I'd appreciate your respect, but I want you to look up the Bible for yourself. Don't ever go to a church where they blindly tell you to accept what they're saying. Acts 17 and verse 11, the Bible says that the Berean Christians were more noble because they searched the scriptures for themselves. Make sure you know the Bible for yourself. It's not the truth that I know that will make you free. It's a truth that you know that will make you free. Make sure you do that. I had somebody come up to me the other day, and they said, Pat, they've been coming for about two months, and they've been kind of checking out the church, seeing if this whole thing was, you know, good or not. And I've met a, a nice young couple. They're doing the same thing. They're on a church search, and that's an important thing. You need to take your time, check it out. I mean, it's like a marriage. You need to see what you're getting yourself into. And, you know, I quote a lot of Bible. And so they'd write them down, and they'd go home, and they'd look them up later when they got there. And they came up to me and said, the other day they said, we've been coming here about two months, not in a critical way, but they, in a good way. They've been writing around. We check out every verse that you say, and you know what? You got 100% out of every single one. You got them all right that you're quoting. And they said, and we're coming to your church. They made the decision. All right, that guy knows what he's talking about. But you thought I'd been bothered by that. Oh, no, no, I think that's wonderful. That is a wonderful believer that is checking things out for themselves. Not with a critical eye. If you have a critical eye, you're always going to find something wrong. But you need to judge teaching. Just because it's on Christian television does not know, does not mean they know what they're talking about. We got a, a couple of folks here, the Coopers, they got a wonderful Christian show. They do know what they're talking about because they go here to this church. But I mean, I watch a lot of Christian TV and oh my gosh, some of that stuff's just garbage. Thank you for your enthusiasm. I mean, that's I, 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 all I can do from not yelling at the television. That's not right. That's not what the Bible means. That's out of context. What are you doing? And a lot of times they'll take context to manipulate people. You've got to know the Bible. How many have been a believer for a, quite some time? These guys remember this song. You remember this song? Uh, I got, uh, so I've been around a long time. Uh, the, the Herald will remember this. You remember that song, um, uh, Blow the Trumpet in Zion, Zion, Sound the Alarm. How many remember that? You've been around for a while in the Christian circles. Okay, and you remember the lyrics? You know, they run on the city, they rush on the walls. Great is the army that carries it. You remember anybody? Oh, you've been, if you've been a believer as long as I have, that was like in the 80s. That was when people used to have mall hair. So that was a long time ago. That dates me. But that, Now, I used to sing that. That was one of the most famous Christian song in the 80s and churches everywhere, man. People be, you know, doing the uh, Tulsa two-step, you know, to it, you know, woo, blow the trumpet inside. <laughs> Father Abraham, you know, and all that. And so I remember all that. And we'd sing that, and I'd sing that, and we'd sing that with and tears coming out of our eyes. Yeah, man, we're the army of the Lord. Until one day I decided to look up the Scripture from where it came. It's from Joel chapter 2 and verse 9. In Joel chapter 2 and verse 9, the Bible says they run on the cities and they rushed on the walls and they broke into windows and stole stuff. 
And it's talking about the armies of the Antichrist. So for years, we were singing with good hearts, yeah, that's me, that's me, the army of the Antichrist. True, check it out for yourself. Ruin that song for forever for me. But I want you to know it's a good thing that we check out teaching. Is it scriptural? I listen to some Christian music and thank God for uh, groups like As One, like we have here, that, that base it on the Word of God. But about 50% of Christian music is totally unscriptural. Well-hearted, very emotional from the emotions, but just doesn't jive with the Bible. And I want to make sure that what I'm singing is scriptural. We'll take some of the famous songs that people sing, obviously, and do them in praise, and we'll change the lyrics to them. We will. We do it all the time because some of them just aren't scriptural. You know, we do that song, Waiting Here With You, da-da-da. And we change that because it, the actual words are waiting here for you. But see, we're not waiting for the Lord. The Bible is very clear, Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus is here in the midst of us. Bible's very clear. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6, God will never leave us nor forsake us. So God's not out in the foyer, and we're in here waiting for him. When two or three show up, he's here. So we say waiting here with you, not waiting here for you. You say, what's the big deal? I want it to be Bible. We're going to sing it. I want it to be Bible. Third thing that we need to judge is situations. 1 Corinthians 2, 15, the Bible says a spiritual judges all things. Judges all things. Situations. Fourth thing that we need to judge biblically is sin. Everybody say sin. Now, here's where it gets real quiet. I mean real quiet. Now, listen, this is huge. And I'm going to teach you how to do this in just a moment. But the Bible says very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1, 2, and 3, check it out. Please write it down and check it out. The Bible says, here's a great way to start a, a verse, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 1. The Bible says, there is fornication commonly reported among you. <laughs> how many are blessed by that? So Paul's writing in the church of Corinth. He says, there's fornication commonly reported among you that a man has his mother's or his father's wife. There was a guy in the church of Corinth that was physically, sexually messing around with a stepmom. Man, you don't need Jerry Springer. Just read the Bible. The Bible's got all kinds of stuff in there. There was DNA testing, you know, who's the father, you know. Oh, gosh. It's a holy crowd today, I can tell you right now. And here's what he says in verse 2. He says, why are you guys puffed up and why don't you rather mourn? And he said in verse 3, he says, I'm not there physically, but I am there in spirit and I have judged this already. Listen to me. The Corinthians would not judge this situation. And here's the life point you already got a pre-show on. Check it out. The Corinthians were not in trouble because they were judging. The Corinthians were in trouble because they were not judging. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Now, you say, well, Pastor, gosh, that kind of sounds tough. Are we supposed to just run around and judge everybody? I'm glad you asked. Because not only do we have order in the court, but second thing that we need to understand is we cannot have contempt of court. Because, all right, we can't just lift that verse out of context, judge not, you shall not be judged, in order to get away with anything we want to do. But if we are supposed to judge, and we are, because we just saw that in those four venues, you got to, I got to do it right, because if I don't do it right, if I don't do judging right, I'm going to have contempt of court, and we're going to have a mess here at Joy Church. So is anybody interested in this? So let's do this thing right. Let's check it out. How do I judge? If I am supposed to judge... 
How do I do it? Let's look now at Matthew 7, 1 and 2. I quoted verse 1 already, but I want to break it down a little bit more. This is some mature stuff, and we're going to get into the meat of it here in just a moment. Matthew 7, 1 and 2, judge not, that you be not judged. The word judged in the Greek is a Greek word, krima, and it means to make a legal decision or rendering. So literally, it's talking about I look at something and I make a legal decision based on the word of God or a rendering. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure, the Greek word metron, with what measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you again. In other words, if we're going to have not contempt of court, we need to understand that whenever we do render a legal decision in those four areas, we better do it right because however we judge, it's coming back to us. And what do we want coming back to us? Now let's take a look at Luke chapter 6, verses 36 through 38. And I'm already used to the silence because I did Saturday service. I prepared myself. Luke 6, 36 through 38. Now, don't put it up yet, but almost everybody knows verse 38, right? Uh, give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give unto your bosom. With what measure you meet, it shall be measured back to you again, right? Almost every pastor or church knows that. Almost every TV preacher knows that when they're trying to get funds, you know, give and shall be given back to you, good measure, present, shaking and running over, right? Maybe for the first time you're going to see these verses in context. Luke 6, 36 through 38. Here we go. Be ye therefore merciful. Everybody say merciful. As your Father also is merciful. Judge not. Now, we know these are sister scriptures. You can see the relation here. Judge not, and you shall not be judged. Condemn not, and you shall not be condemned. Forgive, and you shall be forgiven. Now, check it out. Look at the next verse. Give, and it shall be given unto you good measure, pressed down, shaken again, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. In other words, whatever you give away, whether it's mercy, whether it's judgment, whether it's condemnation, whether it's forgiveness, or whether it's finances, it's coming back to you, but in a multiplied form. How many know we need to so wisely? Now, let's bring these things together because I'm going to do this in one screen. Those three or four verses really combine all of life. All of life consists of either relationships or resources. Let me show you what I mean. Check it out. Relationships and resources. Notice in relationships in those verses, you can find mercy, judgment, condemnation, and forgiveness. How many know that those four things are always exhibited and given away to people in relationships? Are you all props? Is anybody out there? I was actually asking. How many understand that? Those four things are given away in relationships to people. Now, resources or give or giving, that's finances. Now, listen to me very closely. Why does God put those things together in those verses? Because when it comes to mercy and judgment and condemnation and forgiveness, those things are very spiritual and not very tangible. They're difficult to be measured. But how many know when it comes to finances, when it comes to giving, you can measure those easily? 
Therefore, God is putting resources and relationships together because it helps us. All of these things come from our heart. And you need to know two life points about this because this will help you understand. Number one, if you're slow to give, he's saying, you're likely going to be slow to forgive. If you are stingy and you have a difficult time giving, you're going to also very likely in relationships have a very difficult time for giving. Second thing that you need to know, whether it's mercy or judgment or condemnation or forgiveness or giving, you will always reap back more than you sow. So how many believe that we ought to sow these wisely? Now, let's go back to Matthew. Again, in context, let's see it for the first time. Matthew chapter 7. Now we're going to look at verses 3, 4, and 5. I'm going to put these together for you. I'm going to land this plane safely. It's going to help you. And why beholdest thou the mote that's in thy brother's eye? But don't consider the beam that's in your own eye. Now, let me bring that down in everyday language. That word mote in the Greek is the Greek word speck. It means a speck. It's a very small speck in someone's eye. That word beam is talking about a big old log. So here you got a guy who's dealing with a big old log, Lumberjack Bob, dealing with a big old log in his eye, trying to pull out a speck out of somebody else's eye. And notice what he says. Or how wilt thou say to your brother, let me pull out the moat, that speck again, out of your eye, and behold... How many know the word behold in the Greek in Middle Tennessee means looky? <laughs> looky, a log is in your own eye. Now check out verse 5, and you're not going to like verse 5 any more than you did verses 3 or 4. Thou hypocrite. Isn't that a blessing of a, of a beginning? The Greek word hypocrites means one that speaks behind a mask. How many know what a hypocrite is? Uh, how many are sitting next to one? You don't want to raise your hand. I mean, we all get that. I mean, we get this. Now, hypocrite. First. Everybody say first. Now, how many know that God is a God of firsts? He has an order to what he wants us to do. First, cast out the beam of the log out of your own eye, and then thou shalt see clearly. He's not saying that we can't judge the speck. He's just saying we got to judge ourselves first. Then, and only then, can we see clearly to cast the mote or the speck out of thy brother's eye. How many can't stand hypocrites? Come on, that's one of my pet peeves. If you, if you, if you, if you, if you don't know what a hypocrite looks like, check this out. Oh, hi, Miss Chrissy. Is Pastor Tim here? No, he's out right now. Can I help you with something? No. It's okay. It'll be all right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I tell you what. Just have a seat right over here. Is there something I can get you to drink? Uh, please. Anything would be great. Okay. Thank okay. you. I'll be right back. I'll Thank be right you. Back. <laughs> oh. Maybe a Kleenex. And some hand sanitizer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Miss Chrissy, but I don't, I don't know if you know this. There's a family at the church. The father's passed away. The mother's too sick to work. 
And they have nine children. I know you're a compassionate woman. If someone doesn't pay their $400 rent, they're going to be thrown out into the streets. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Now, who are you exactly? I'm their landlord. Oh, come on. Now, I'm going to go get that driving home. You'll get that driving home? All right. Don't run off the road when you finally get that. Man, I just can't stand hypocrites. You know what I'm talking about. We, we, we've all been there. Now, now, this is huge that we get this because it's one who speaks behind a mask. They are dealing with their own log and yet trying to remove your speck. You know, listen, you heard my story, and I don't mean this to say in any way unkind. I, I, I've been there myself. When I got saved, I was 20 years old. I was an alcoholic checking IDs at a bar, and, and I was a mess. And, and, and so I understand. I've been there, done that. Thank God for the blood of Jesus. Yeah? I'm so thankful. And I want you to know, I get it, I, I, I understand big time, but I've watched so many people, you know, here, they're, they're, and there are people here that are, that are hooked on various things, let's just say alcohol, and, and you got, you got people, and they're, and they're in there, man, and they're very judgmental, man, you need to, come on, you need to get over that alcohol, you need to stop that, you need to quit being addicted to stuff, while they're smoking away telling you about your alcohol problem. Hey, Smokey. And I'm not mad at you, Smokers, because I know, you know, I've hugged you. I know you're here. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean to you either, because we're all working with something. You can be on the other end of that story. You over here, you know, full of alcohol. Hey, don't you know that smoking will kill you? Hey, Jimmy Beam. Hey, buddy. How many know that's another log? And so he's saying, now, wait a minute, before we talk to the smoker, before we talk to the guy who's hooked on alcohol, we say we clean ourselves up first. Well, what do you say we look inward first? So if we are supposed to judge those four areas, how many know we're going to have to do this thing wisely? Because if we don't, listen to me, it's coming back. Now, can you see this getting balanced out in a proper way? Look at this light point. This will help. This is what Jesus is talking about. You help others from a place of moral authority. You can hurt others from a place of moral superiority or moral hypocrisy. And I've seen that over and over and over again. We had a call a few years back at the old building, Dustin, and it was really interesting. They asked for one of the staff pastors. One of our staff pastors took it, and there was somebody that was looking for a church and kind of asking and inquiring that questions about the church, which we're always glad to ask. And they asked a, 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 a number of things, but the first thing that they asked caught one of our staff pastors by surprise because it was an unusual question. And here was the question. They said, uh, we're thinking about coming to your church. First question, does your pastor tithe? And, of course, the staff pastor went, well, of course. But I got to ask, you know, I hadn't heard that question before. You know, what's that? Tell me about that. And they said, well, we're coming from a church. We're leaving it. We can't take it anymore. The pastor would always harangue us to tithe, but he wouldn't tithe himself because he said his time was his tithe. Hey, Pastor Logjam. 
<laughs> Are you a part-time lumberjack? Just checking. And you know that's just hypocrisy. And people can see through that nonsense. Could I have at least an oh me out there? Come on now. Now, let, now let, let, me, let me talk to you, all right? Let me, let me talk to you because I want to help you. We've got to have to have order in the court. We can't have contempt of court because I, I'm going to pastor you here for a little bit. Huh? And this is going to be really important. These next, we're going to spend the next 10 minutes, and that's all, talking about some very important things. A little bit of pastoring here because you need to understand this. In any good local church, you are going to have all levels of people from not saved. There are people here today that, that have never been saved. They've never received Jesus into their heart. We're going to give you an opportunity before you get out of here today to fix that. There are people here that just got saved. I can tell you at least 10 of them last weekend. In any good church, there are going to be people at every level of spiritual growth from not saved to just saved to 40 years saved to everything in between. And therefore, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to have to handle this correctly in church life because a good church will always have all kinds of people at all kinds of levels of growth. And if we're not cautious, we can have the folks over here that have been saved 30 and 40 years become very, very, very judgmental about the folks that are not saved or just got saved. Or we can have the folks that just got saved, and they look at the folks that have been saved for 40 years, and they think, well, these people are holier than thou. They're goody two-shoes. And before you know it, we've got a divide in the church. Now, I don't see that in any way, shape, or form here. I'm just telling you, this is a growing, thriving church. And in any growing, thriving church, people get saved, and there are young believers here. And if you're not cautious, what can happen is, you older believers, you'll be all about, well, I want deep. I want deep. Give me deep. i got to have deep. Listen to me very closely. If I gave you deep, you'd just drown. <laughs> Jesus was not deep. Jesus took complex things and made them simple. Religion, religion and bored Christians who sit in pews and don't do anything, bored Christians want deep. And then what happens is you got the bored Christians that are very spiritually smug and superior, and they're over here looking down their nose on the people that just got saved. They go and start their own church, the first church of the deeper revelation, the greater truth, the remnant, and all the fancy things that people say. And then there's 30 smug Pharisees sitting in a room judging one another, and now it keeps dwindling down and dwindling down, and it's the pastor's wife, and now the pastor's not so sure about his wife. I've seen it over. I've been doing this a long time, folks. I'm, this is not my first rodeo. I've been in ministry a long time, and I've seen both sides of the ditch. I see this ditch over here where people are going, judge not, and you shall not be judged in order to get away with anything they want to do. And I see people over here, and I see people in a pharisaical way looking down their nose on other people in spiritual superiority and smugness, and that is so ungodly. That's one of my pet peeves. I can't stand Pharisees. Neither could Jesus. Pharisees are so judgmental and so rules and regulation oriented that they will absolutely disqualify Jesus as the Messiah. And if you've disqualified Jesus as the Messiah, because that's what the Pharisees did. They looked at him and said, can't be him. They disqualified him through their rules and regulations. 
If you are so judgmental that you disqualify Jesus as the Messiah, I'm sorry, but you are a modern-day Pharisee. Listen to me. This is, the Bible says in Romans chapter 14 and verse 1, and this is huge. It says, receive. It says, there are weak among you. Receive the weak into your church. This is weak spiritually. And it says, without doubtful disputations. Now, that's just a fancy King James way of saying, receive the weak into your church, not to straighten them out. And then the whole rest of the chapter of Romans 14 is devoted to us living our Christian lives, not self-consumed, but thinking about other people. Now, I told you my story a little bit ago. You know, I got saved when I was 20. I know I'm making you think, and that's good. I can say when I was 20, I had all kinds of addictions when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, when I got saved, as I mentioned, I was an alcoholic. Uh, I invented cuss words. Some of the cuss words that you are now saying on I-40, I invented. <laughs> I, I, I was addicted to, to lust and chasing girls and women. I, was, I had a horrible temper. I had one of the worst tempers you ever could imagine. I was absolutely and totally self-consumed. I had all kinds of addictions and all kinds of problems when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I'm just transparent and open as your pastor. I think it helps me be a better pastor. And when I got saved, when I gave my life to Jesus, instantly I was delivered of alcohol. Instantly. Every craving, everything. And I know that's not everybody's story. I know there are people that have fought that for years. But for me, I was instantly delivered of alcohol. I was instantly delivered of cussing. But I still struggled with the lust. I still struggled with the temper. And I still struggled with the being self-consumed. It took a couple of years of getting into the Word of God and renewing my mind to the Bible to where I became free in all those areas. And now, I want you to know, I have not lost my temper in decades. And it's just going to be 26 years we're married July 7th, me and my beautiful wife, and I have been faithful to her in every way, emotionally, physically, mentally, in every way. I'm not, when it comes to selfishness, I'm sure not Billy Graham. I want you to know that. I got a ways to go. Every once in a while, I have my selfie moments, just like you do too. But I'm not self-consumed. I'm an other-minded person. I care about other folks. I love other people, and I know you do too. But that was a process for me. So it would be easy for me. There's people in here right now that have struggled with alcoholism maybe for years. You know, you hate it. You know you do, and, and you're wanting to get free, but it just keeps dragging you back, but your heart is right. Your heart is pure. It'd be easy for me to sit there and judge you, but I won't because you need to remember there may be something that you got delivered of immediately or you're not tempted of at all, but there's something, if you'll go back when you were saved, that you still struggle with for a while until you got into the Word of God and renewed your mind to the Bible. And you need to remember that when you're dealing with the, some of these folks that just got saved. And when you hug them, and when you smell that smoke, hug them harder, not pull away, because they need your love, your mercy, not your judgment and condemnation. You may have never smoked, may have never been a problem to you, but for some people in the house, they know it's killing them. They hate it. I'm not recommending it, but we need to love them to a higher level. Do you remember Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44 as I close? Now, when I say the words as I close, please don't turn me off. 
because I'm going to land this plane in a very important place. Do you remember Matthew chapter 13 and verse 44? You remember Jesus said the whole kingdom of God is like a treasure that's hidden in a field. You remember that? whole kingdom of God is like a treasure hidden in a field. Listen to me very closely. God always hides treasure behind dirt. You need to know that. And there are a whole bunch of treasures in this house that haven't even discovered it. They don't even know it themselves. They don't even know what a treasure they are in the eyes of God. But God always hides treasure in dirt. This life point is really true. God always hides something valuable in something fallible. Every good miner knows when you find a nugget of gold, when you find a diamond, it's going to have some dirt on it. You don't throw it away. You gently, thoughtfully, lovingly wipe off the dirt. Pastor, are we to judge? Yes, we are. In teaching, in fruit, in situations, and in sin. But remember, church, first thing that we understand when we judge, we got to look to ourselves first. Jesus said, first, get rid of that log, lumberjack. Because it's coming back. And what do you want coming back? When my wife and I first got married, first year of marriage, I wanted to change her. Not me, because, you know, look at me. <laughs> I wanted to change her. I wanted to be more, her, to be more logical. I wanted to be, you know, more, uh, and, uh, I should have married Judge Judy if I wanted logic. But look at this. I'll take this any day. I, I, got, I got one woman clapping for you. And so I, I'd go to God and say, okay, okay, okay God, I, 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 here's what I need you to change about Ann. Not once did he acknowledge it. I went twice. I remember it was the first year of marriage. I went twice. I need you to change this. Not once did he say, yeah, that's right, she does. He's, every time I went to God about her, God always talked to me about me. I stopped praying about her. So I had plenty to change. <laughs> no more of those prayers. What's God doing? First, get the log out, lumberjack boy. Then we'll talk about my daughter. God speaking. I had some man come up to you know, we're six years apart. You know, she's a cougar. She's six years older than I am. Okay, I'm six years older than her, truth be told. I had some guy come up to me. He was half messing around, half messing around. He goes, man, you got a pretty daughter. Talking about my wife, you know. So after I slugged him. So I quit. I quit said, so okay, God, enough of this. I had to deal with myself first. Listen to me very closely. I want you to get this. Let's let this church be full of treasure hunters. Not dirt hunters. Christians tend to be dirt hunters. We are to judge. We are to do those four things. But when we do it, let's make sure that we remember there's treasure on the inside of everybody that we meet. And if we're going to help them, we in a loving way, in a restorative way, in a merciful way, in a non-condemning way, we gently rub off the dirt of all the treasures in the house. Let this church be full of treasure hunters.